Truth News Network. And now it starts. In a world where the little guy gets told to sit down and shut up, little guys can band together, learn how the big boys play, and beat them soundly at their own game. Throwing the gauntlet as a reminder that not all revolutions are fought with guns. The truth is out, and it's here at TNN. The Truth News Network. With your host, Dan Newman. My oh my. A lot of truth here, and the guns are front and center once again. Yeah, we're going to talk about guns on today's show. We don't do that normally, but you know what? That Second Amendment thing, it's out there, and that uh, gives us, according to multiple U.S. Supreme Court renderings on cases through history that have gone there, they said, point blank, American citizens, private citizens, have the right to bear arms to defend themselves. That's just one thing. There are so many things going on in this world um, globally that impact you. I don't care what part of the nation, what part of the globe in which you live, you're impacted by a lot of things that are interconnected. And I guess maybe that's one of the things that's so tough for us to accept because so many things are happening and then we find out, wait a minute, this one's connected to that one and that one's connected to this one over there. And they're all interrelated and brought back together by one commonality universally. What might that be? Politics. Oh my gosh. Politics. We got to deal with it, folks. There's no way around it. We have to deal with it. And not dealing with it, going and burying our heads in the sand, does absolutely no one any good. You say, well, you know what? I don't understand it all. I don't like the way people speak to each other and the way all the lies get told over and over and over again. I don't know who to believe or what to believe ever. So how do I handle the political process in my life? I just stay disengaged. We can't do that, folks. Everything you might have just said and thought is probably true at some level. In fact, they're all true at some level. But you know what? Government is a critical piece of your life, even if you don't have any connection with it directly. Even if you don't think about it, even if you don't speak about it, it's still there. And it would be wrong for us as Americans, it would be wrong for us as mothers and fathers to ignore the politics because politics directly impacts the lives of all of those we love, our kids, their kids, our grandkids. Uh, our in-laws. It impacts us all. Every area of our life is directly impacted by the decisions and choices that are made in politics. And of course, it's front and center this week as Joe Biden went to the G7 last weekend. Uh, He went first to the UK. He met with the Queen. And I know Queen Elizabeth was just blown away with the graciousness and the intellect of the President of the United States. And then he goes to Brussels, Belgium, the home of NATO, and has a a pretty raucous meeting with the leaders of the NATO nations over in Europe. You know, I never have understood why the United States and the leaders of the United States never have taken charge of the conversation about everything to deal with NATO. you got to remember, we're the only country in NATO that really doesn't have a dog in the hunt because all of the stuff we're talking about, NATO stands for the North Atlantic 
treaty organization. It's about them. And our involvement was just to be kind of look-see, overlook, because so many things that happen over there directly and indirectly impact us. That was the purpose and the structure initially. But it became through the years, we were the biggest giver. In fact, in many cases, we were the only giver of money into NATO, yet we just had one little voice in it. And of course, that changed dramatically. When did it change? Who changed it? Donald Trump changed it. NATO leaders, they love the fact that Donald Trump is gone and they got Joe Biden to replace him. Joe Biden, oh, he brings so much to the table in the area of leadership and great ideas. It's exactly opposite of that. They knew that going in because he was on that stage with President Barack Obama for eight years, knew him well. And they like the fact that he's back in the saddle. And I tell you what, now we, we're not even going to talk about the Putin-Biden quote-unquote summit yesterday in Geneva. Right now, we'll get to it just a little bit later. But the day before, Biden left Brussels, the headquarters for NATO, and went to Geneva to get set for his meeting with Vladimir Putin you're not going to believe where Joe Biden went to appear and did a live television show late night. Stephen Colbert, the night before Biden met with Vladimir Putin, Stephen Colbert of all people, you know the left and Democrats on the left, you remember how much and how often Barack Obama appeared on the late night talk shows? I guess maybe Joe is headed down that tack and we just happened to steal a couple of minutes of Steve Colbert hosting via satellite our president, President Joe Biden. I've just been told that Joe Biden has made time to be with us live via satellite. Joining me now from Brussels, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States. Mr. President. Mr. 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 Pre- Mr. President. Mr. President. Oh, there you are. There you are. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Mr. President, Mr. President, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being there. Because here's the deal. Nobody's better than you. And I know we can do better than that. No joke. Well, I I appreciate that, sir. I appreciate you, Merv. So. (laughs) So, Mr. President, this is your first trip abroad since taking office. How's it going so far? Going great. Met the guy that uh, runs England, Boris Karloff, Boris Johnson. Excuse me. Then I met the high school kid who runs France, Macaroni. Had tea with the queen. I'm the president guy. Come on. Yeah, I, I know you are, sir. I'm happy that you are. Are, yeah. are, you, are you enjoying yourself in Belgium? Come on, man. Are you kidding me? Look at these, look at these crazy pancakes they got over here. Look at that. Oh, bumps everywhere. That's bonkers, man. Look at that. Yeah, that, Come on. Those, are, those are great, Mr. President. But I'm asking is, has it been hard yeah. to reestablish diplomatic ties with our allies after the last president burned so many bridges? Look, look, okay. Let's be real. Let me be clear. The last guy, Trump, was bananas, okay? <laughs> But look at me. Look at me, Europe. I'm nice and easy. Listen to my voice. You know, I'm whisper calm. You know, I'm not, not going to make any sudden moves. Look at my hands. Moving slow. Look at that. No herky-jerky, just slow and easy. Uh-oh. Where'd they go? What's going on? 
scary, not scary. Scary, not scary. Come on. There's nothing to worry about. That is, that is comforting, sir, but... Yeah. Mr. President, thanks, are you at thanks, all... Merv. Are you at all concerned about meeting with Putin on Wednesday, given that you very publicly called him a killer? Come on, now. Come on, now. I once called a nice lady a dog-faced pony soldier. <laughs> you know, no one knows what the hell I'm talking about, especially me. Maybe I'm joking. No joke. Come on, now. I'm the president guy. It's, it's good to know. Now, let's... Slow and easy. Come on now. Very soothing. Now, let's talk vaccines, sir. You just yeah. announced the United States will be donating 500 million doses to countries in need, and that's wonderful, but I was wondering, how yeah. do you feel about how the rollout's going in this country? Let's get real here. Come on now. Number one, the one part. Number two, the thing the guy said. Number three, you know the drill. Come on, folks. So you... So you're pleased with our progress? Absolutely. You know, come on. These vaccines are safe and effective. We've got three different flavors. The Moderna, the P. Fizzer, and the J.J. Abrams. Come on. You mean, you mean Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson? You got it, man. Yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, come on. Let's get real. You know, I've never been too good with, uh, you know, what do you, what, do you, what do you call them? What do you call them? Names? No, no, the other, the other one, the big guys, all of them. Words? That's the one. Words. They're like Republicans. They don't want to work with me, but I keep trying anyway. Well, sir, I, I have to say, that resonates. That seems to, that seems to resonate with people. Folks, I have to say, I'm grateful the rollout has been so effective that I can now have a live audience again. right. Yeah, look at all those beautiful people getting together again to laugh at your band and dance at your jokes. <laughs> you know, you're like, that. It's, it's like being with your best friend, like my best friend, a guy named Barack. Um, Barack Obama. Oh, you know him too. Yeah, hell of a guy. Best man at my wedding. I, sir, I don't think that's historically accurate. Come on, man, get your facts straight. Jack, let's do some push-ups. Uh, not right now, sir, but be before we go, I would like to see that at some point, though. Is, is there any message to the country uh, that you'd like to give as we come out of the pandemic? Look, folks, look, folks are hurting, okay? You know, I grew up in Scranton. You know, my dad lost his job. He says, he says, Joey, I lost my job. I said, what are you going to do, Pops? He says, I'm going to stare at the ceiling and think about what to do. So Pop would stare for hours a day at the ceiling. I'd say, Pops, can I stare for you for a while? So I'd go in and I'd stare so he could shower and whatnot and go to Trader Joe's, get paper towels and avocados and, you know, all that Mr. good Mr. stuff. President, Mr. President. Yeah. What? what? Was it? Well, oh, it's great to be here, Merv. Come on. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Merv. Sorry about that, Conan. Uh, Johnny. President Joe Biden, everybody. Check out his work. <laughs> No, that wasn't Joe Biden. That was Steve Colbert. Uh, it was actually Dana Carvey. What a great impressionist he is and a phenomenal comedian. And you know what? I know that Colbert's audience is mostly leftist, and you heard them. They, they applauded because Trump was gone, and 
They applauded because according to conventional wisdom and left stream um, fake news, um, Biden is responsible for the vaccine, straightening everything up on COVID. Nobody ever remembers that um, Biden himself got his first vaccination, COVID vaccination, when Donald Trump was still president. Just say it. You know, you don't want to change history. You don't want to let other people change history either. I just thought maybe on a a humorous note we could begin this show today because I've been told we really, really often just get and stay in negative land here. And it's just because when that happens, folks, it's information, stuff going on out there that when you digest, and you must digest a bunch of it just simply to find a way to work through it. And the best way to work through it is to find out first what the truth of everything is. So what came out of Geneva? I mean, I don't care who you watch and who you listen to when it comes to news. The reports, the summations, what went on, what didn't go on, what this meant, what that meant. It's 180 degrees. I mean, it's literally from 180 degrees left to 180 degrees right. And it just depends on who you listen to. And to be quite honest with you folks, we don't really know what happened because we weren't in the room. There was no live feed coming out of that summit between Russian President Vladimir Putin and our President Joe Biden. There were other people in the room, we are told. And we saw, I think, a couple of static pictures that show that uh, Biden had two people with him, as did Vladimir Putin. I'm not sure of that. I don't know. And they obviously, anybody in the room can or could share some light, shed some light on what actually happened in that room. We'll probably never know about that. But what we have been told and will be told ad nauseum is the perspectives that the various news sources, far left, far right, and in the middle, want to depict happened in that room and where we stand as a nation with our leadership with our foreign policy, and how we're going to do going forward. This really wasn't even a summit. I mean, it was a meeting. It was a get-together. Most everybody knew going into it what would be discussed and the answers that would be given to questions asked. And apparently that didn't change when the two got in the room, Biden and Putin. We did hear some things in President Biden's post-press conference that were troubling. The one that troubled me the most, and this one just blows me away that this would even be happening. You know, the hacking by those cyber criminals, it's been a real big deal here in the United States, especially for years. The ransomware stuff started, gosh, six, seven, eight years ago. They were going online and locking down big companies, small companies, locking down their computer servers and networks And they would claim, and they had the power to do it, that they would destroy that network in so many hours if you didn't pay money. And originally it was Bitcoin. And so they've just begun to ramp it up. People see and hear about these cyber criminals making a lot of money doing this, and so they begin to grow in numbers. And they get a little better about their criminality and get a little bigger. The oil pipeline... Continental oil pipeline that happened to lockdown, I guess now a month ago, 
it was really, really devastating to the United States. And that company had to pay $5 million in ransom to be able to get their computer networks back. And it took three or four days before the pipeline really got back 100% online, transporting oil and oil products from the Gulf Course through the pipeline up to the Northeast. Things like gasoline and jet fuel, all those things were just shut down. So a lot of things came out of that that uh, I think most people looking at the Biden-Putin get-together wonder what's going to change. Is there going to be a fix? Because everybody knows most of that happens. Those cyber criminals are somewhere in Russia. And a lot of people say, as Joe Biden told us originally, he said he talked to the president of Rustin, he, uh, R- R- Russia. He talked to Putin. And he said, I know Putin knows about it. But Biden, now this is when the continental oil thing happened, the pipeline. Biden actually said that he, being Joe Biden, gave Putin a pass. Now, when he said that, many people just kind of thought maybe he's bragging. You know, I'm the good guy, and he's the criminal, and I made sure he knew that we caught him. He was involved in it, and those cyber criminals are in the nation. And I just kind of spanked him and gave him a pass. That's the sound that Biden wanted us to hear and what to think about what he said. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. There are a lot of people like me that when that happened and I heard that, it was like, I wonder what kind of deal they struck. After all, we know, we've documented, we've seen evidence. Millions of dollars flowed into the Biden family syndicate, we termed it here, primarily to Hunter, his son. And a lot of it came out of Russia. We know this one thing. Nothing happens regarding Russia without Vladimir Putin at least signing off on it. He may not be directly involved in it, but he's got to approve it. Nothing happens on his watch, especially when there is a boondoggle of money involved in which Vladimir Putin is not at least aware of it. And the thing that came out yesterday that, of all, stupefies me the most is the fact that Biden actually presented 16 different potential cyber hacking uh, ransomware targets in the United States and our infrastructure primarily. 16 different points. And he told President Putin not to even think about attacking any of those 16. Now, uh, uh, and I'm doing it again right now. When I first heard it, I just scratched my head thinking, what the heck was that all about? First, why would you even give your quote-unquote enemy opponent in this case, why would you even think about giving them a list of 16 potential targets for criminal hacking to take place against? Why would you even do that? What would be the purpose of that? Why not do something, oh, you know, benign, something simple like President Putin, you are the president of Russia. We know you run your country. And you're a good leader. You've been there for a long time. You know your country. Your countrymen know you. We know that nothing happens, especially at a level like this, the attack of 
the largest nation on planet Earth, nothing like that happens on your watch without your knowing about it. And so here's what I'm here to tell you today. You need to stop any hacking, any cyber hacking whatsoever in any way in any area of the United States of America. And if it continues on your watch, you and your nation will suffer dire circumstances. Don't you think that would be sufficient to get the point up across? I, I listen, if I was if I was Vladimir Putin and a criminal and I thought like a criminal and a big time boss of criminals and somebody handed me a list of 16 potential targets and I know that means he's pretty sure, he being the president of the U.S., is pretty sure that we have the capability of going and causing a bunch of chaos by grabbing and locking down these 16 targets. You know what I would think? Hey, guys, we got a big, big financial boondoggle opportunity here. Let's come up with a plan. Joe Biden, he wants to be everybody's buddy. I mean, you just heard comedian Dana Carvey do a takeoff, but folks, he wasn't far off of what we've seen and heard about our president over the past years in his very visible political career. That's pretty normal. And yet, nobody, nobody in his entree, I mean, nobody in his group, his entourage of people, his his cabinet members, nobody has had the chutzpah to stand up and say, Mr. President, you need to rethink this. I can't even imagine who in their right mind and prep for that meeting would have handed the president a list of 16 different cyber criminal big targets and even suggested to the president, you need to tell him don't touch any of these. Joe Biden's on an international stage is not a very experienced politician, though he likes to think that he is, and he certainly likes to portray that he is. Vladimir Putin, on the other hand, folks, remember where he got his start. You remember the Iron Curtain, behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany and the Soviet Union? You remember sending tens of thousands of people to the gulag, the prison camps, up in the Arctic Circle and people dying. The government just destroying, killing people willy-nilly, taking everything. It was a brutal operating political system in this old Soviet Union. That's where Vladimir Putin got his start. And he got into politics and he came directly into government politics from the KGB, the really, really bad guys that operated all of the nastiness against Russians' own citizens. I mean, assassinations, killing people, poisoning people, doing all kind of horrible things to people in Russia. Now, he's the president of Russia now, and the Soviet Union is gone. But that mentality, it certainly, it may not be bubbling up in the surface of Vladimir Putin's life that's seen every day may not be there, but it's there. Maybe not publicly, 
but it affects and impacts and it may even be driving his thought process as a leader. Make no mistake about it, the big winner wasn't the United States of America. It was the Russian Federation. And then Joe Biden, he, he finally, after Putin does his post-summit press conference, everybody waited with bated breath for our president to come out, and it was right on the banks of a gorgeous, beautiful lake, massive lake outside of Geneva, Lake Geneva. And the first thing he did when he got up at the podium and he got ready to take some questions, he made the statement, well, you know, I'll take your questions. And as usual, folks, he said, they gave me a list of the people I'm going to call on. He told the press that. Now, why, if you were an open, honest, all-inclusive president, would you ever do that? Have a list. These are the only people that will take questions from today, Mr. President. Why would you even do that? Why would you think you had to do that? Well, everybody knows. Joe Biden didn't think he had to do that, but all of his quote-unquote handlers knew it. If they let him get up there and just willy-nilly call and let whoever, anybody there ask a question, that they were going to blow Joe Biden into Lake Geneva. He would be all over the place. That's bad enough. But then for the president to get up there and admit it in front of millions of people in the world that I promise you were looking in and listening, that in itself scares me to death that we have a president that would actually do that. And then he just doubled down on stupid. He snapped at one of the reporters at the end of his press conference after she asked why he was, quote, confident that Russian President Vladimir Putin would change his previously maligning behavior. When she asked that, Biden was actually walking away from the podium after saying he was committed to freeing Americans that were imprisoned in Russia. When he heard that question, he wheeled and he said, quote, I'm not confident he'll change his behavior. What in the hell? What do you think all the time? And it was from CNN. CNN's Caitlin Collins, and she tried to answer the president. He stuck up a finger and he continued, when did I say I was confident? Let's get this straight. I said, what will change their behavior is if the rest of the world reacts to them and diminishes their standing in the world. I'm not confident of anything. I'm just stating a fact. But given his past behavior has not changed, And in that press conference, after sitting down with you for several hours, this again is Caitlin Collins of CNN, Putin denied any involvement in cyber attacks. He downplayed human rights abuses. He even refused to say Russian dissident Alexei Navalny's name. So how does that account to a constructive meeting, she asked. And so Biden just nastily, quickly quipped, if you don't understand that, you're in the wrong business. And he turned around and walked away. Well, obviously, that back and forth, it didn't sit well with a bunch of the other reporters. If you're the most powerful person in the world and you can't field questions from the media without losing your temper, maybe you're in the wrong business. That was New York Magazine's Olivia Newsy in a tweet. That very rare unscripted moment, it happened just as Biden 
called on a pre-selected list of journalists before answering some shouted ones at the end, including Peter Ducey, who Joe Biden makes very clear. Peter Ducey of Fox News is a thorn in Biden's flesh. You know, it was interesting. Somebody got in Biden's ear when they got in the big limo and headed back to Air Force One. When they got out of the limo and Air Force One was spooling up the engines, on the tarmac, Biden talked to some of the press and he apologized for his tone with Collins afterwards, saying that before boarding Air Force One, he shouldn't have been a wise guy. Interesting, right? He said this before he walked up the stairs. And he made it all the way up the stairs without tripping, by the way. He said this. We're going to be able to look back in three to six months and say, did the things we set out, did they work? Biden said that's going to be the test. And, I, and I'll just I'll just be completely honest with you. I have no idea what he was trying to accomplish. He didn't make it clear what his purpose for going was other than to let everybody know I'm the president and Donald Trump is gone. We're going to do things my way. We're going to do them the right way instead of the way Trump did it. That was the whole purpose for the trip. And because of that, he was not on point in anything. But you know somebody who was on point? Very much so. Vladimir Putin was. Vladimir Putin. He made it very clear before the summit happened what his purpose and intentions and things he wanted to bring to the world stage were. He set the stage. He was the one that ran the whole narrative of the week. Because everybody in the world, especially in the United States, everybody was asking, what's going to happen? What's what's Biden trying to do? What's he going to do? And Putin, who was a master at turning every attack against him politically around and attacking those who attack him. And he did just that. In a Monday interview with NBC News, Putin accused the U.S. government of assassinating Ashley Babbitt. Now think about that. In the context of going over there and our president pointing out criminality that's happening in Russia against the United States on Putin's watch, you would think that Putin, in a Monday interview before any of this was going to take place, that he would be setting a stage to be quiet and calm and complicit and cooperative, but instead he does what he always does. He goes on the attack. He was referencing Ashley Babbitt's death without using her name. He didn't use it. The NBC reporter asked if he ordered the assassination of Russian dissident dissident Alexei Navalny. Navalny was nearly killed with a nerve agent while he was flying from Siberia to Moscow in August of last year. And he recovered in Germany. And when he recovered in Germany, they picked him up. The Russians did. He went back to Russia and has been in jail ever since. Now, this NBC reporter, Simmons, asked about Navalny after Putin deflected and stonewalled on his questions on the political repression that everybody knows is going on in Russia. And so Putin used the January 6th incident to point out there's repression here in America as well. Of course not, he said. We don't have this kind of habit of assassinating anybody. That's one. 
Putin said in the charge of ordering the attack on Navalny. Number two is, I want to ask you, did you order the assassination of the woman who walked into the Congress and who was shot and killed by a policeman? Do you know that 450 individuals were arrested after entering Congress and they didn't go there to steal a laptop, he said. They came with political demands. 450 people have been detained by your government. They're looking at jail time between 15 and 25 years. And they came to the Congress with political demands. Isn't that persecution for political opinions? Now, let me, let me just ask you this, and, and we're done with this. We're going to go away from this. Um, let me ask you, think about what a smart move that was. Here's NBC. They're trying to find a big story. They're, like every other mainstream news agency, trying to get a, a leg up on what's going to happen at this summit. And so they had access to Vladimir Putin two days before the summit. So, hey, 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 we got to get a leg up. We got to get an advantage. You don't think that Vladimir Putin understood what was going on and then he just turned it right around and he stuck it in the side of and jabbed the United States government. And he didn't even talk about that with Biden. He had already made the point nationally and internationally. In other words, everybody says we're bad folks in Russia that we attack those who oppose us, but we don't assassinate them. Look what you did. There were 450 peaceful Americans that went to Congress, the seat of your government, to express their demands, their political concerns, and they get arrested, and one of your cops shot an innocent woman that didn't even have a gun, wasn't trying to hurt anybody. That's what happens in the United States, but we don't let that happen in the Russian Federation. He won that whole deal, folks. And here we are today in America, greatest country on planet Earth, and we're trying to figure out what our president was doing (laughs) and what he accomplished, if anything. Wow. I said we're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, boy, we've got... We've got some good stuff to put out there, some interesting things as we prepare to head into your weekend. You want to get armed with these facts. Back in two minutes at TNN Live. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They They toasted toasted six-month-old-aged cheddar right onto the the shell of a chalupa. That's genius, no delicious, no no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is... This is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. Beat Yourself Up Hotline. Is this the Beat Yourself Up Hotline? Yes, sir. If you'd like to beat yourself up, this is the place to do it. Okay, I'd like to beat myself up now, please. Go right ahead when you're comfortable. <clears throat> I am so stupid. I can't believe how stupid I am. What an idiot. I left all my holiday shipping until the last minute again. Now it's a huge hassle. Why do I have to do this to myself every year? When, oh, when will I learn? You beat yourself up very well, sir. Thanks. 
But maybe you should just log on to SmartShip.com. SmartShip.com? Right. Type in your zip code and SmartShip.com tells you the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to do your holiday shipping, even at the last minute. Wow. SmartShip.com. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Well... Why do I have to have somebody else tell me what to do? Oh, sir. When or when will I ever have an original thought? You're really good at this, sir. I've been told it's a gift. SmartShip.com. The way smart shipping is done. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Facts and evidence is all you'll see and hear on TNN, the Truth News Network. Find it exclusively at truthnewsnet.org. Before we get back to it, a couple of points of information for you. If you hadn't been here the last few days, you may not know that all of our shows, we turn them into podcasts, and you can now get them 24-7. You always have been able to because... We post links to each show at the bottom of every day's story. At the end of this show, we'll uh, take that show recording in MP3 format, and we go to the bottom of the story that's published every morning, pretty much every morning, five days a week, and we put in red letters the last sentence in the show. We put a link to that day's podcast. And you can click on that and download it, listen to it, share it, whatever you want to do. Well, in addition to that, if you're out and away and you don't have your computer with you, but you got your phone and you want to hear the show any day, you can. If you've got an iTunes account with Apple uh, or if you have a Spotify account, there's a podcast section in both of those music distribution entities. They reached out to us and asked and said, we want to start carrying your show, your podcast. So at the same time, we post it on our website. It's automatically sent, and Apple and Spotify post it. So how do you get to it? You just access iTunes, go into your search bar, and put the words in TNN Live. Immediately, the page pops up. You click on it, and it's got the, the episodes that are posted, which in this case we started with Monday of this week and everyone going forward will be there and you can just click on it and listen to all or part of it. Same thing with Spotify. It's another way that we're spreading the news. And I was asked, well, what about this, uh, this Apple thing? You know, they're into censoring and being very careful about what kind of content they allow. Are they going to take that down? shut it down like Facebook and Twitter and Google do. Well, they've done that in some cases. But I'm hoping that because they initiated the contact that uh, <laughs> they'll leave our stuff up there. If they don't, hey, we'll just uh, we'll just move on. That's all we can do. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the world, politics included, politics is permeating every area of our lives. I mean, everything is politicized today. And this critical race theory thing being taught in the schools and people now finally for the first time realizing what it really is and how dangerous it is. In light of that, multiple state 
legislatures and governments have actually taken action and have created legislation and made laws signed into law that are banning the teaching in schools of critical race theory. Yesterday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a law that outlines how schools in Texas should teach students about race and racism and it prohibits the teaching of what has become known as critical race theory. The measure doesn't specifically mention the term critical race theory. It does, however, mandate that the Board of Education in Texas should create its curriculum on history. On history. Facts. History. In other words, things that actually happen without taking control of the mindset of all those that made history happen and inferring that you know what the driving factors were. That's not history. That's opinion. According to this new law, educators should not teach that an individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of the individual's race or sex. And in addition, by the way, the legislation states that schools cannot require an understanding of the 169 Project. That's the thing that came out of the New York New York Times, in which they basically, one of their people there was anointed to and created a whole different version of American history, stating that it began in 1619 and what made it began. That was, according to her, the date that the first slaves from Africa came to the United States. Hmm. It does provide the legislation a list of acceptable works that can be relayed in the classroom, such as Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail and his I Have a Dream speech. The bill also requires students be taught the history of white supremacy, including, but not limited to, the institution of slavery, the eugenics movement, you know, which is killing kids, terminating kids, and also the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, and the ways in which it is morally wrong. Novel idea. Now, in the midst of all this, and and other governors have done this, Ron DeSantis down in Florida is another that has has actually taken action to outlaw critical race theory teaching in their schools. One African-American podcaster... He brought somebody in, and this person happens to be African-American female, happens to be a teacher, happens to be in one state's public education process, and this moderator wanted to find out what the thinking is about teaching critical race theory and who's responsible for what's said, what isn't said, and getting the justification. This is less than one minute, but I want you to listen very closely to the explanation that this public educator gave. You said white teachers Uh are just now realizing what's been going on. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? What are they realizing? Um, so there's this phenomena of, you know, the, the school to prison pipeline where there's clear examples of how students of color are conditioned through the school system to uh, be criminalized, um, to be 
to to receive punitive measurements. Um, and there's never this connection of, well, why are students of color struggling? Why are they having a hard time um, integrating or acclimating to school culture? And the reality is, is that the school culture is embedded in white supremacy. Um, and the the system is really teachers, like te- white teachers. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are majority in the classroom um, upholding, you know, white supremacy and, you know, making sure that, you know, they are the gatekeepers, whether they realize it or not. So, but, but, but you heard exactly what she said. I don't need to interpret what her explanation is. But put it in context. What you just heard is the storybook cookie cutter way for the left, people, anybody on the left, to explain and define critical race theory, why it's necessary. And you heard her say it's because white teachers, they know. They're now realizing they are the purveyors of the evils of white supremacy and that it's their responsibility. They realize it now. And, of course, what none of them ever will do. And here's how you know It's nothing but a bunch of empty talk. It's pointing fingers and placing blame and ramping up something from nothing. And I'm not saying there's not racism in public schools. Folks, there's racism in your church. There's racism at your high school football games. There's racism in wherever we go in society because people are different. And there's a whole mindset that has existed since humans have existed, that rather than find the truth about the differences in other people, rather than trying to understand, a lot of people don't even want to bother. They just mark that person or mark those people and call them those people, give them a name and segregate them out there and make them be just a group and diminish their humanity and their individualism. That's not a racist thing, folks. It's not subject to one skin color, one ethnicity, one one, uh, religious sect. It's not. People of all races, all skin colors, all ethnicities, all religions are susceptible to being human. And humans make those choices to be racist. This public educator... And, of course, I, I put the blame on the podcaster who didn't ask this question. Give us some examples, some specific examples that point to us that make us understand or help us understand what you're here to talk about. After all, we want to make things better for everybody. And if there's wrong out there, we want to address the wrong and root it out and make people not have to worry and fret about this. But instead of doing that approach, this woman just, she took, authority to just paint a blank. It was a blank board, blank piece of paper, and she came in and just drew a picture and said, this is this, and that is that. There's no factual basis. There are no pieces of evidence given that back up anything that she said, not one thing. But what happened until just the last few months? Nobody Very few in the nation knew this was going on. Critical race theory has been out there for years now. They just finally wrapped it and put it in a package and tied a bow around it and put it out there and felt like with a Democrat, a far-left Democrat in the White House, now we can just blow it out there 
and everybody's just going to say, oh, okay, great, and follow suit, step in line. And when that started happening, people like me, like many of you, like these governors, began to say, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, folks, white supremacy is a problem. The Ku Klux Klan is a problem, always has been a problem. But when the director of the FBI, when the president of the United States, when in the shadow of what we have seen happen on our streets in the United States for the last year plus, when I say what's happened, I'm talking about evil. I'm talking about rioting and looting and burning and killing. Listen to what I'm about to say. None of that, none of it was instigated by white supremacists. But we can't talk about that. You remember when President Biden, oh, excuse me, (laughs) President Trump came out of the White House and he went through Lafayette Park, went to that church across the park that had been almost burned to the ground at that historical old church had almost been burned to the ground by protesters and looters and stood there and held the Bible up in front of the church. You remember the mainstream media went crazy. They were reporting that President Trump had all those protesters and demonstrators in the park tear gassed so that he could go make a brownie point, a political point. We find out months later through a report from an intelligence uh, inspector general that that wasn't true. There was no tear gas used. Those people were pushed away because they didn't want violence. There was tear gas used that day, and it was used by not Trump's folks, not the Secret Service, not even the Capitol Police. Tear gas was used that day at the orders of the mayor of Washington, D.C. So that was a false premise that was created. All of these riots and this looting and stuff that happened, it began in Minneapolis after the Memorial Day incident in Minneapolis where George Floyd was killed by four cops, four Minneapolis cops. And so the protests began, the demonstrations began. Previous to that, it had already been happening in Portland, Oregon. It was happening in Seattle in response to George Floyd's death. It went to other cities around the nation. It went to Chicago. It went to New York City. It went to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Baltimore, Atlanta. It just spread across the nation. There was no white supremacists. No white supremacy in all of this, yet nobody wants to talk about the fact it was simply illegality, criminality, and violence. Instead, it just makes it easier to point fingers and put people in little groups and never give facts to substantiate what you say. They did it and show us Did they do it? And if they did do something, what did they do? They never do that. Why is that? Does it fit the leftist political narrative? It only works when we point out and just make these broad assumptions, assertions, like this 
public educator just made. Listen, this is on, it's only 50 seconds. Listen to this again. And now, after we had this part of the conversation, listen to what she said, the content. You said white teachers uh-huh. are just now realizing what's been going on. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? What are they realizing? Um, so there's this phenomena of, you know, the, the school to prison pipeline where there's clear examples of how students of color are conditioned through the school system to uh, be criminalized. Okay, two things she said there. These white teachers are just now realizing. Gives us no facts, no examples, no substantiation for her saying white teachers are just now realizing they're the purveyors of this racism. That was the first assumption she made with no facts. Um, to be, uh, to, to receive punitive measurements. Um, and there's never this connection of, well, why are students of color struggling? Why? That's false. I hear it all the time talked about in comparison. Why are students of color, why are they struggling? But she's saying nobody talks about that which is just a talking point to use when you want to put down who you're talking about, white teachers. There's never this connection of, well, why are students of color struggling? Why are they having a hard time um, integrating or acclimating to school culture? And the reality is, is that the school culture is embedded in white supremacy. The reality is, that's her answer. Why is nobody talking about students of color having problems, which is a lie. It's very well discussed. It has been and should be. And it's not just black people. It's people that don't buy in, that don't take public education and use it and process it in their lives to get better. It's not about color. Yeah, it's it's about culture to some degree, but doesn't provide any substantiation for these sweeping allegations. None making claim after claim after claim. Um, and the the system is really teachers, like te- white teachers. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are majority in the classroom um, upholding, you know, white supremacy and... White teachers are responsible in the classroom. They're the ones that hold up white supremacy. You know, I, I'm not even going to play any more of it. Here's the thing, folks. Yeah, we know people have waved this banner and flag for years, weaponizing everything they want, anything they can to uphold a cause, something that they support. That happens all the time. But now it's being weaponized and it's dramatically changing the landscape of the perception of people that are having kids and it's not based on fact. No examples. None whatsoever. It's absol- And I've given this explanation, comparison many, many times. It'd be like me walking in a crowd, at a, say coming out of an LSU football game. Tiger Stadium coming around, and if you've been there, you know when you're up at a higher level, they've got the round things, ramps that you walk down, going down. And there may be a couple of hundred people within... 50, 100 foot proximity to you after a game in closed quarters. Hopefully you're excited about the Tigers winning, but you come down and you see your buddy about 20 people over and you holler at him and say, Hey, Jim. Hey, Dan, how you doing? 
Hey, I just want to know, did you stop beating your your wife or when did you stop beating your wife? Well, what is Jim going to feel? First of all, it's an allegation. It's a stupid allegation. And I didn't offer any explanation to Jim. I just attacked him, made a broad assertion just like this woman just did. It's the white teachers that are promoting and teaching white supremacy in our classrooms. No evidence, no facts. In fact, it's just like it's just like we have said here, I want somebody to come on this show, either by phone or in person, I don't care, and give me specific examples of all of this left mantra that is being marched around the nation. For instance, the voting regulation laws that have been passed in 13 states, other states are considering it. These leftist leaders like uh, Stacey Abrams is one of them, going around the country, and they're given microphones and television cameras, and they just make these broad allegations that all these election laws are suppressing black voters. Nobody ever asked, give us, give us some examples. And, of course, it's those on the left. These, these people will not go on like a Fox News or a Newsmax and make their allegations because they would be asked, hey, if that's happening, we need to make sure we take it, we take, we take actions to ferret that out and make sure it doesn't happen. They don't want to hear that because they don't have any examples. Here's what they have painted a broad picture of. The U.S. legal system is tainted. It doesn't do fair things across the board. And it always picks winners and losers, and the losers always are African-American people. That's the narrative that's being portrayed every day on these news shows. And it feeds into their desires and hopes, which is to create and maintain a permanent ruling class in the government, the federal government, so that Americans' rights are all owned by the government, and they dish them out. You think I'm extreme. You think this is crazy. I would love for somebody to take me on and give me some examples that dispel that because I don't want to live in a nation where that happens. I don't. I don't think it's happening here. I don't believe America is a racist country. I don't believe in systemic racism. No building... No system is on its own racist because it's created. It's not born. It doesn't live and breathe. And you have to live and breathe to be racist. Why? Racism is a choice that people make. Thankfully, most people say no, but it's a choice. Systemic racism only happens if you accept it. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell & Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are 
and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner men can count. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. We are here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mm-mm. How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? <laughs> what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm-hmm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? Mm-hmm. Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. can't cover any political news today in America unless you bring up the name Joe Biden. He is the president of the United States and he's top of the news every day. And uh, I want to get back to Biden. I want to get back to um, something that he said. It has nothing to do with the meeting with Vladimir Putin. But before we do that, I want to point something else out about Texas governor, Greg Abbott. I guess you heard he said they're going to build the wall. Well, he announced yesterday he's going to start finishing the wall at Texas's southern border. Texas is with a $250 million down payment. Wow. A down payment recognizes it. it's going to cost more. He said this yesterday. My belief based upon conversations that I've already had is a combination of state land as well as volunteer land will your yield hundreds of miles to build the wall in the state of Texas. And how they're going to fund it? Dallas Morning News reported the down payments coming from the state's Department of Criminal Justice. Interesting, right? They already have 450 miles, including parts of Texas that was built during the Trump administration. And of course, Biden took care of that, even though he's ignoring Many people say, and there's litigation pending, that his doing so violates federal law because Congress allocated $5 billion during the Trump administration, allocated specifically to fund building the southern border wall. No president has any constitutional authority to go against Congress on a matter that has been signed into law. Interesting, folks. Somebody's even thinking about holding a Democrat president responsible. And of course, we all know we have a southern border problem, that it is a Joe Biden problem, even though nobody will call it a crisis in this administration, except Democrat Representative Henry Cuellar of Texas. And he's gotten so despondent and he just wringing his hands, he can't get any action by this federal government. He sent a letter to Calamity Kamala urging her to get to the southern border as severe burdens hamper Border Patrol agents and American citizens and surrounding communities. It's just one more day 
of the same trauma down there. And it's really, really sad, folks. They're thumbing their noses at the rule of law. Democrats are across the board. And it's become kind of the cool thing at the federal government just to ignore enforcing laws. I mean, after all, think back. Revealing classified information is a felony. And yet, former FBI director was found guilty or it was exposed that he, on multiple occasions, released classified information with no authority to do it, committed multiple felonies, wasn't prosecuted. Hillary Clinton committed multiple felonies with that unsecured server. Classified legal laws put in place, never prosecuted. Barack Obama told Eric Holder, then his attorney general, stop enforcing federal possession of drugs, illegal drugs. Stop enforcing that at the federal level. Violating all kinds of laws. So see, we're just conditioning ourselves to say, ah, we'll just thumb our noses at this. We'll willy-nilly support or not support laws and we'll determine it. And it's all about being in the power group that has that authority to thumb your nose at law. Like, for instance, that little thing that is massive in federal legislation, I'm talking about immigration law. Congress has the sole power to determine to create bills, negotiate them, edit them, amend them, come up with a whole bevy of different laws if you don't like the existing ones, send them to the president's desk to sign into law, then it becomes law and it's supposed to control the whole process. And built in it are the criminal penalties that go along with those who decide not to support them. Like the half a million people this year that have come to the southern border getting in or trying to get in illegally. Half a million, folks. Half a million. And Cuellar said, you know, we've had enough. We can't handle this anymore. Give us some help, Mr. Biden. Give us some help. And before we move on from Texas, Governor Abbott yesterday signed a new law, HB 1927, that makes Texas the 21st constitutional carry state. Second Amendment law. The constitutional carry law will go into effect September 1. It allows law-abiding residents 21 years or older to carry a handgun for self-defense and they no longer have to get a permit from the government. Interesting. U.S. Representative Veronica Escobar, who's a Democrat from El Paso, spoke out against the constitutional carry after it was signed into law. Here's what she said. The permitless carry bill will cause more violence and loss. Despite overwhelming support for common sense gun violence prevention, legislation like universal background checks, Texas Republicans led by a cowardly governor are more interested in groveling for the gun lobby's attention than they are in preventing gun violence and honoring victims and survivors in El Paso and across Texas. Once again, what we pointed to in the critical race theory. Our discussions there. No facts to back up any of this. 
There are no facts. In fact, the facts say around the nation open carry, open carry states like uh, Wyoming, Montana, other states that you don't even know are open carry. That's what that means is you can walk down the street carrying a gun. Concealed carry is the controversial one, and it shouldn't be. Concealed carry means you just hide the gun. It's not in plain sight. You drive in a car, you keep it in your glove box. That's concealed carry. In my state, Louisiana, you have to have a permit to do that. To get that permit, which I have and have had for 15 years or 20 years, I had to go through a self-defense class. I had to go through a gun education class. I had to go through and learn the laws that control carrying and using a handgun or a rifle. That's a good thing. But in these open carry states, somebody can walk down a street holding a gun. That's a scary thought in many cases because people don't know what those people are going to think. But my point is law-breaking in states like that are far less than other states that have these lockdown egregious gun law. Like, for instance, Chicago, Washington, D.C. Do you know that in both of those places, it's almost impossible to get a concealed carry permit to make it legal to carry a gun? The states and cities that have the most egregious laws are the ones that have the most killings. And I'm going to leave this. I'm not going to stay here. But you know the stupidest thing that I've ever seen in this attack, ongoing attack on the Second Amendment is for libraries and city halls, municipal buildings, oh, and schools to put up these signs all over that say, this is a gun-free zone. And you know why I think that's so stupid? That's an advertisement. They're sending a message to every criminal that has even an inkling of committing illegal illegal acts involving a gun. They're going to go there first. Why? Because there's not going to be a gun there. Nobody carrying a gun. Nobody has a gun to stop them from hurting people by shooting people to going on there and committing criminality because it's a gun-free zone. If you're going to have one, why advertise that it is? I mean, that's, that's the mindset that this representative, Veronica Escobar, Democrat from El Paso, and you, you heard what she said, her justification and her thoughts are not, they're not they don't, they don't come from factual information. They don't come from evidence. They can't prove it. And so California has got this assault weapons ban in place. And so a bunch of states have taken legal action at the federal level to force California to reverse that. In fact, 22 Republican-led states have filed a court brief in support of a decision that struck down California's assault weapons ban last month as a state appeals to the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. 22 states that are led by Arizona Attorney General Mark Bronovich said in their filing that the 9th Circuit should uphold a lower court decision that makes California's ban on assault weapons make it illegal. In other words, the ban's got to go. 
The experience in Arizona and other states shows that modern rifles are common to the point of ubiquity among law-abiding gun owners, and their use promotes public safety. That's what the state's filing said. Furthermore, Bronovich argued describing modern rifles as assault rifles is a misnomer, claiming that these rifles are the ones most often used by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes like personal protection or target and sport shooting. Those are facts. They don't want to listen to facts. All they want us to make sure that the government controls everything, including the ability to even use a gun, yet alone have one. Power. Used to be about money, folks. Hadn't been about money in a long time. It's about power, because with power, you get everything, everything you want, including money. (laughs) Oh, it's all rolled into one big thing, and it's under one umbrella now, and they don't even make any bones about trying to hide it. They just do their thing. Have you heard what's going on in the upcoming midterm elections? It's really beginning to ramp up quickly. You remember those 10 Republicans in the House of Representatives that voted in favor of impeaching Trump? Well, as you know, every member in the House of Representatives every two years faces an election. And when you face an election, you face voters. And remember, most Republicans in large support the Second Amendment. And most Republicans, by a massive margin, hated the impeachment, the two attempts to impeach and remove Donald Trump from office. Well, those 10 specifically, you can bet they're facing some deep, deep trouble next fall. Why did they vote that way? Remember they said he was responsible for the breach on January 6th at the Capitol? And every one of them has received massive criticism for their votes to impeach him back in their home states. Some were censored. Others were told to resign. Currently, today, nine of the ten are already facing primary challengers from within the Republican Party and, of course, Trump's America First wing. Instead of attacking me and, more importantly, the voters of our movement, top establishment Republicans in Washington should be spending their energy in opposing Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, and the Democrats. That was former President Trump in a speech he gave at the CPAC in February. Here's who's involved. Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming. Representative Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio. Representative Jamie Herrera-Butler from Washington State. Representative John Katko from New York. Adam Kinzinger from Illinois. Peter Meyer from Michigan. Dan Newhouse from Washington. Tom Rice from South Carolina. Fred Upton from Michigan. David Velladio from California. All 10 of them, all of those Republicans, they each voted to impeach Trump while the majority of Republicans voted against the impeachment, believing it was unconstitutional and unwarranted. The Democrats don't have grandstanders. And in the House, Tom Rice, Kinzinger, Newhouse, Gonzalez, Upton, Butler, Meyer, Katko, Velladio, and of course, the warmonger, a person that loves seeing our troops fighting, Liz Cheney. 
<laughs> Trump pointed all of them out by name. Cheney is the most well-known and established congresswoman in the group of 10. She sensed that vote to impeach Trump. She's faced constant backlash, not just from her home state of Wyoming, but I mean around the nation. And she was in leadership, GOP House Conference Chair. She lost that gig. She's being challenged by Wyoming State Senator Anthony Bouchard. His campaign raised $400,000 in 90 days, all of it in small donations. And of course, what they're going to say in her campaign, they're being the mainstream media, that the deep pockets of the Republican big guys have come in and they're giving all kinds of money to this state senator, Anthony Bouchard, who's running against Lynn Cheney. Trump said this, the Liz Cheneys of the world, we have to get rid of them. It looks like conservatives across America, but especially in Wyoming, agree as strongly with President Trump as I do. This is Bouchard now speaking, the state senator. My campaign's momentum is growing every day. Now, remember this, Trump hasn't formally endorsed endorsed Bouchard. His press director, Trump's press director, put out a statement saying, A Wyoming poll found that Cheney is extremely vulnerable since her state voted overwhelmingly for Trump in 2020. That's interesting. We'll keep our eyes on that because that's a big deal. And I got to be honest with you, determining control, the majority control of the House of Representatives, it's never been as critical in my memory, and I'm 67, never been as important as it is right now. There's the only way to stop this push, this hard, demonstrative, loud, massive, and egregious push to make America uh, somewhere we always thought they were looking to make it a socialist light country. As it rolled out after Joe Biden became president and the House and the Senate took control by the Democrat Party. They want this nation to go past socialist light, and they're doing and are committed to do everything necessary to make it happen. What else is going on? Well, no surprise, probably Senate Democrats, they're pushing hard regarding this um, Trump Department of Justice subpoenas. Have you followed this story? It comes to light that the Department of Justice during the Trump campaign, they were dealing with what I talked about just probably 15 or 20 minutes ago. You remember all the classified brief, classified information leaks that were happening through the Russia collusion investigation by Robert Mueller. It seemed like every day or so, some kind of new blockbuster piece of information was released. It was leaked out of classified hearings in in Congress in front of both the Senate and the House Intelligence Committees. And nobody could figure out what was going on or who was doing it. James Comey was, was tagged. He was caught because he passed some of his private information, conversations that he had with President Trump, passed it on to a friend of his. Comey said he didn't send it out to the press but he sent it, gave it to a friend of his, and the friend sent it out. That's a direct 
felony law violation. Comey hadn't been prosecuted for it. But after Comey was gone, information like that still was systematically released. And so everybody pretty well knew it had to be somebody in the inner circle of the intelligence committees or the White House. And everybody knows every White House, there are some people in that don't just agree with everything coming from the administration in which they serve. And sometimes there are some spies, people that will purposely get implanted there to sow disinformation and problems and issues. But they looked hard, couldn't find anybody in the White House. So it began to become apparent, people started looking around. The first hen to cackle is always the one that laid the egg. And in the case of this, who was leaking? It was obvious to a lot of people, the guy that was probably, who was definitely in a position to do it, but probably the one based on his history most likely to do it was Representative Adam Schiff from California. He's a loudmouth. He was in and on the Intelligence Committee. He still is in the House. And people began to note when they were having these closed-door classified hearings, when they would take a break, in the Capitol, all these people, they would you know, go out, run to their office to grab a, a memo or check emails real quickly on a 10 or 15-minute break and would answer some phone calls, and they would see Adam Schiff standing out in the hallways, always on his cell phone, immediately when they took these breaks, every time. Well, lo and behold, when this Inspector General reports that Trump Department of Justice was subpoenaing to get information from these members of Congress and doing it, they did it with subpoenas to get their telephone records and stuff. Now, it wasn't the White House doing it. It was the Department of Justice. And, of course, there were only two attorney generals that worked in the Trump campaign. The first one, I just went blank. I lost his name. Bill Barr was the second one. Former senator from Alabama was the first one, Jeff Sessions. I'm sorry, I went blank just there for a second. I just froze. I couldn't think of it. Um, So it had to be one of the two that were watching and implementing this. But i got to be honest with you. The question is, the classified information is being leaked. And it's devastating. It's wrong. It's illegal. It's criminal. And part of law enforcement is to process those who break the law according to the law. And the first one to squeal when this news came out last week was Adam Schiff. Oh, we got to go after the Trump, both of his attorney generals. They were doing the bidding of Donald Trump. What this is, it's illegal. No, it wasn't illegal. What was happening was illegal. So there, at the, at the House level, they're demanding that an entire committee process, something be put together to just go after everybody that served in the Department of Justice under Donald Trump. Well, Senate Democrats, they're the purveyors. They've got to get the Senate and their fellow senators in place to make some of this type of investigation in this witch hunt happen. They pretty well have the House all put together. Well, Senate Democrats are finding out they're running into a GOP buzzsaw 
as they want to probe deeply into the Trump-era Justice Department's collection of these lawmaker records. As part of the backlash coming from Capitol Hill, Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee, where it's really got to go if it's going to happen regarding intelligence matters in the Senate side, Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee launched a probe this week and are threatening to subpoena both Attorneys General Bill Barr and Jeff Sessions if they don't testify voluntarily. But they're finding out they got a tough roadblock because Republicans on that committee will need to back any attempt to compel documents or testimony from any potential witnesses. They didn't expect that. They, they thought everybody had fallen in line. The hurdle for Democrats spins out of their 50-50 majority in the Senate with the deciding vote to be cast by the vice president, which determines the party breakdown on Senate panels. So that means you've got the same number of Republicans on that committee as you do Democrats. Approving a subpoena would require either a deal between Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin, who's a Democrat, and Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, who is the top Republican, or winning over one of the 11 GOP senators on the panel to side with all Democrats to create a majority to get their witch hunt put in place. But Republicans at the top are pouring cold water on the investigation, underscoring the heavy lift that Durbin and members of his caucus face to get enough Republicans to support it to add teeth to an investigation. So, Minority Leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, he's over all of it. He called a pledge by House and Senate Democrats to investigate a witch hunt in the making. He said, it's particularly disappointing that our colleagues have taken to attacking former Attorney General Bill Barr over investigative decisions that predated him being (laughs) at the Department of Justice. Attorney General Barr served our nation with honor and integrity. These latest attempts to tarnish his name bear the telltale signs of a witch hunt in the making. Ah, what does he know about witch hunts? (laughs) What do we know about witch hunts? We've never had one or seen one, right? Wow. What else is going on? Do you wonder what your fellow conservatives, if you are conservative, do you wonder what everybody is thinking with all of these state reviews about the election system and the voting systems in their respective states and what really happened. What was the real outcome of the November 3rd election? In the middle of all of that, what do fellow conservatives around the nation, what do they think is going to happen? We've got the answer for you. You're going to like this, I think. Back after this. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. Unforgettable, that's what you are. 
L'air du temps perfume, like the memory of a beautiful song, lingers on and on. L'air du temps perfume, the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere, anytime, makes you unforgettable. L'air du temps perfume, by Nina Ricci. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 double crispy cheesy burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new double crispy cheesy burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new double crispy cheesy burger the flame fresh taste well i'll tell you it had two big flame broiled patties plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce too it was really delicious oh don't forget the price jim oh yeah and it only costs a dollar it's probably the best purchase i ever made probably jim Okay, definitely. Yeah, yeah there it is. Yeah. There it is. get the new double crispy cheesy burger with double the flame fresh taste the truth and dan newman goes together like beans and rice Brats and Kraut, you and the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. As you probably know, Arizona has been undergoing a forensic audit of all of their election results, the equipment, the ballots, everything, for about a month, a month and a half. And they expect by the end of this month they'll have a final result uh, to pass along to the people of Arizona and, of course, everybody in the nation is watching closely to see what happens there. So in the middle of this, a bunch of other state legislatures have made determinations, hey, we need to check our own. Not not all of them are saying we are confident there was voting irregularity, maybe some fraud, cheating going on. They're not saying that, but they want to find out if there was And if there was, and we need to input, implement changes ourselves, we want to do it before the 2022 midterms. Smart idea. Well, a news outlet that is anything but conservative decided they're going to do a poll to find out about these election investigations that the ones that are going on and the ones that will go on, what people think about it. Politico. What they found is a majority of Republicans in their poll, 51% indicated that they think these look-sees into the 2020 election will change its outcome. More than half. That includes 29% who definitely think it'll change. 22% think it probably will change the results. Overall, the poll found that roughly 75% of GOP voters support state-level efforts to review and examine the 2020 election. The survey was based on responses from 2,000 registered voters gathered online from June 11th to June 13th, and it has a margin of sampling error of just two percentage points, which is, that's about half of the normal margin of error that we get every time on these national polls. Now, what this illustrates, folks, is there are a lot of people in the United States that don't trust the government. And I'm not just talking about the federal government. They don't trust the maintenance, the management of the state election systems. All election systems, 
for now at least, are operated by the individual 50 states. Of course, if Nancy Pelosi has her way, her bill, H.R. 1, that has passed in the House, it's sitting in the Senate, hasn't been brought to the floor to be voted on. If that's passed, no longer will the states have anything to do with elections. It'll all be at the federal level. And very, very smart people, people much smarter than me, maintain that if that ever happens, the free and fair election system that we have, even with the problems that it has, and there are problems within it, cheating happens, voting irregularity. When you, when you have um, 140, 150 million people casting ballots across the nation and doing that once every four years, that's when the national election that includes the president, vice president are included. You're going to have, you're going to have some cheating. You're going to have problems, but at least maintaining an assurance that it's not rampant. And when it happens, it's discovered and necessary changes, liability, whatever is necessary to stop it is going to take place. If it goes to the federal level, we'll never know because whoever's in power and government at the federal level will control everything, including whatever is said and whatever is hidden, folks. This next story really, really concerns me a lot, and it actually scares me a bit. Wells Fargo Bank, and i got to be honest with you, I bank with Wells Fargo. I like it. It's very easy to do online banking with them. Pretty much everything you need to do, you can either do it on the phone or you can do it online. Well, they have stepped into this um, censoring thing. Wells Fargo, which is one of the largest retail banks in the United States and the world for that matter, they shut down a bank account. The person's name that they shut down is Lauren Witzke. Do you know her? I didn't. She ran as the Republican Party candidate for the U.S. Senate in the state of Delaware last year. Now, what's this all about? Well, in one story, Witzke reported that her bank account had been shut down, leaving her stranded on vacation in Florida. She wrote this, Wells Fargo has shut down my bank account, taking all of my money and leaving me with a zero balance. When she called, the bank said that it was a business decision and that they have the right to close my account at any time. And she said if she hadn't been surrounded by friends in Florida, she would have been completely stranded. She's noticing everybody to use this as a warning and get your money out of Wells Fargo if you are conservative. That lit me up, if you are a conservative. Incidentally, in addition to that, she has also been canceled by some social media companies. She was blacklisted by Twitter in March because she condemned the alleged sexualization of minors by Alec Vade Minan, a far-left trans-feminine activist. Wells Fargo hadn't, in fact, they've said they're not going to talk about it. They didn't deny shutting down the account, but they insisted that it doesn't make such decisions for political reasons. Wells Fargo does not consider political views or affiliations in making account decisions. That was said by one Wells Fargo spokesman. An account 
can be closed for a number of reasons based on individual facts and circumstances. While we can't discuss our customer accounts because they involve, involve confidential customer information, we can report we've reviewed this situation and here's the caveat that you need to be concerned about. And it was handled appropriately. Hmm. A guy named Pete Dabraska, a conservative activist, contributor to American Greatness, reported his Wells Fargo savings account had been shut down on the same day as Witzke's. Okay, yes, it is a fact in federal law. I don't know if you know this, but the banking lobby got Congress to pass a regulation that allows any bank for any reason, arbitrary at any time, they can put a hold on your money. And they can do it legally. And there's no recourse right now for you to do it. Now, there is a period of time that there are allotted that they can hold it. I think it's 30 business days. That's the max, 30 business days. But you put that in the context, you're talking about almost 40 calendar days. You can make a deposit and they legally can just they don't, and they don't have to give you an explanation. I've known about that. I was warned about that by a close friend of mine who has been in the U.S. Treasury for a number of years. I was warned about that five, six years ago when it happened. But I've never heard of it happening like this. This is just a wake-up call for you to understand. Be careful. Now, what can you do? I, 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 have, I have no idea. I have no idea what can be done. I guess basically you can maybe fly below the radar screen if you're political. Just be careful who you speak to and how you do it. Kind of like I do here at TNN Live. <laughs> and I'm banking with Wells Fargo on a personal and business level. Uh I don't know. I guess maybe it doesn't count unless you run for office, and I'm not running for office. I'm right where I need to be. I don't want to get in the middle of it. I'll sit here and stay on the sidelines and throw rocks at them <laughs> along with you. That's what we'll do here. So one more little tidbit of wisdom that I wanted to point out to you coming out of that summit or whatever you want to call it between Joe Biden. Well, actually, two little tidbits. Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin in Geneva. Do you remember Noor bin Laden, spelled Noor, N-O-O-R, Noor bin Laden, who was the niece of Osama bin Laden? It was a shock to everybody in the world, including me. She is a flaming conservative politically. And she has a place in the United States. She splits her time here. She lives in... Switzerland of all places, which is one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. I love Switzerland. Lake Geneva, which this uh, summit between Putin and Biden happened on the banks of that lake. It's a huge lake. Let me point out a, a, a point where you saw it. You probably didn't even know it. It's in one of the James Bond movies. At the very end of the show, I mean the last scene in the show, there's this gorgeous 
shot of this mansion on the banks of this huge, beautiful lake with a mountain on the other side. And James Bond actually shoots the guy as he comes up. James Bond is hiding in the weeds, and I don't even remember right now the circumstances. I think it was Casino Royale, but I'm not sure. Nevertheless, uh, the remake, the second version, um, shoots the guy. That was on Lake Geneva in Switzerland. And I didn't know what that lake was. It so shocked me when I saw it that I looked it up. Anyway, what I'm saying is Noor bin Laden yesterday in the post-summit press conference that Joe Biden held, if you remember right behind him was Lake Geneva. You didn't know it was Lake Geneva, but it was right behind him. Guess what Noor bin Laden did? She lives on the lake, has her own nice boat. She's behind... Joe Biden in the press conference, and she's got a massive sign, white big sign, big red letters, and it said two words, Trump won. (laughs) Okay, I Trump won, Noor bin Laden. But the one thing, that was one thing I wanted to tell you. The other thing I was going to tell you is what one thing Biden says in his, um, in his press briefing, somebody was talking about criminality and criminals in Russia, criminals in the United States, and Joe Biden actually pointed to the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. I'm not even going to tell you what he said. Listen to what the President of the United States said about the January 6th incursion into the Capitol building, and who was at fault? Who did what? When President Putin was questioned today about human rights, he said the reason why he's cracking down on opposition leaders um, is because he doesn't want something like January 6th to happen in Russia. And he also said that he doesn't want to see groups formed like Black Lives Matter. What's your response to that, please? <laughs> My response is kind of what I communicated, that I think that's a, uh, that's a ridiculous comparison. It's one thing for literally criminals to break through cordon, go into the Capitol, kill a police officer, and be held unaccountable. And it is for people objecting and marching on the Capitol and saying, you are not allowing me to speak freely. You are not allowing me to do A, B, C, or D. And so they're very different criteria. Do you know what he included in all of that? I mean, his part of that, folks, was, let's see, 18, it was 18, was 20 seconds. In 20 seconds, what he did, he told several lies, at least two lies. One, criminals, he said, broke into the Capitol. Yeah, I guess technically by the word of the law, they were all criminals because they were violating federal law and federal property. Got that. But then he just kind of went off the reservation. Did you hear what he said? Criminals broke into the Capitol and killed a policeman. Ball-faced lie. There was one person killed. Her name was Ashley Babbitt. She didn't work. She wasn't a cop, never a cop. A Navy veteran. But she didn't have a gun. She wasn't armed. She wasn't threatening anybody and she was shot by a federal cop and killed 
So basically, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be fair. I want to be understandable and understanding. But the man lied. That's a bald-faced lie. And the second thing, the second part. Let me let me just play this for you again. Let me find. I think this is where it starts. Listen. This is his reference to the Black Lives Matter. And be held unaccountable. And it is for people objecting and marching on the Capitol and saying, you are not allowing me to speak freely. So, those 450 people that the FBI has arrested for the January 6th insurrection, he said they weren't held accountable. 450 have been arrested. Some of them are still being held. We don't know what they've been charged for. We don't know who they are. FBI's not telling us that. There are big question marks about the justification for not telling us that. But then he makes this broad sweeping thing. But it's okay for people to peacefully march in Washington to say you're not acknowledging the wrong that is doing against us. Black Lives Matter he's talking about. I got to be honest with you, there may have been a BLM peaceful rally somewhere. I haven't seen any evidence of it, and you would think that the far-left media would certainly show those peaceful protests to make America comfortable that Black Lives Matter, who they're all in for, are peaceful protesters and nothing more. I did see a bunch of burning. I did see a bunch of violence. I did see a bunch of pillaging that went on at the hands of these people at the Black Lives Matter rallies. Incursion, destruction of federal property and private property left and right. So the president in his post-Putin summit, what he did was he got up and basically told a couple of lies. As the president of the United States and on international television, I might add. And don't you know that millions of people that heard him say these things, they already knew the truth. And then they hear the leader of the greatest country on planet Earth lying through his teeth, misrepresenting facts, and this is the scariest part. He did it with no hesitation and really basically without any idea that anybody was going to hold him accountable for telling the lies. You think about the people that elected him. What do they think about that? Is it okay for a president to do that and obviously feel no obligation that he's got to tell the truth, that he can portray anything he wants to fit whatever political narrative that he wants to make it fit? Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. 
Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. In stores, some meats, other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and some meats, new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit, sun-made snacks. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. Well, let's look objectively. In the last 10 minutes or so of the show, let's look at stuff that are really the important things here. Yeah, Biden and Putin got together. Nothing really big came out of it. Um, Over at NATO, nothing really big came out of Joe's meeting with NATO leaders. The G7 conference, basically the same stuff. Yada, 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 yada. But there's some really important things that's continued to happen you got to face them. you got to think about them. You can't just forget about them. Things like the price of gasoline's up a buck and a half since he was inaugurated. Thousands of people were put out of work after he was inaugurated. Not at the hands of COVID, but at the hands of Joe Biden. Inflation is soaring. Price increases on everything across the board are soaring. And interest rates... We've already got the signal from the Federal Reserve this week. Interest rates are bound to start climbing. And then there's this. John F. Kerry, one of my favorite politicians in the U.S. of all time. I'm joking, of course. He now doesn't have a official cabinet position, but he is classified as the special presidential envoy for climate. And here's what he said a couple of months ago. Everybody losing fossil fuel jobs in coal and hydraulic fracturing are going to find they have a better choice of jobs in either the solar industry or as wind turbine technicians. That's two months ago. Of course, the XL pipeline permit was canceled by Joe Biden immediately in one day put about a thousand people out of work. High-paying labor union jobs, six-figure jobs gone. All the ancillary businesses along the pathway of the XL pipeline from just over the southern border of Canada across the middle of the United States down to the Gulf Coast, gone. Just bam. And then Joe Biden canceled the federal oil and gas leases on public property 
No new leases. He actually didn't cancel. He put a moratorium on. And by the way, a federal judge stepped in and said he can't do that. Federal judge down in New Orleans. Hey, 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 Louisiana gets something right, yeah? But now a wind blade manufacturing plant located in Aberdeen, South Dakota. They've announced they're shutting their doors permanently in less than 60 days. The company name is Molded Fiber Glass. When it goes away in 60 days, 300 workers, bam, gone overnight. Marks another major loss of energy jobs in the state of South Dakota following Joe Biden's halting of the Keystone Pipeline. Now, MFG, this company, said that the closure there will happen not because of the XL Pipeline, but because of changing market conditions, foreign competition, and tax revisions affecting the wind energy industry here. Since 2007, this plant has been producing wind turbine blades. The plant's going to remain in operation for 60 days until it's fulfilled its existing orders. One of the workers, a family member there, said they were informed of the closure on Monday last week Employees were completely taken off guard by the announcement and said they should be swimming in orders right now. Why? Because Joe Biden is the president and he's Mr. Non-Oil and Gas Energy. In 2017, MFG threatened to kill 400 jobs at the plant and shut down because of the proposed revisions to tax policies. Hmm. At that time, Republican U.S. Senator John Thune stepped, stopped in and uh, he canceled the closure. He pushed for revisions of the 2017 tax bill to be more favorable to that industry. Thune emailed a statement, said it's troubling that at a time when wind energy is seeing record investment, that this growth is not translating to American jobs. It's really hard for those working these good-paying jobs in Aberdeen to face uncertainty yet again. Thune criticized Biden's statement from his address to Congress. Quote, there's no reason, the president said, the blades for wind turbines can't be built in Pittsburgh instead of Beijing. But Beijing is getting all this business. Bloomberg's New Energy Finance's recent ranking of global wind turbine manufacturers last year showed that seven of the top wind in the country are Chinese companies. General Electric, an American company, is first, but Gold Wind of China is second. The study also found more than half of the world's newly installed wind power capacity was built in China. Last month, Thune proposed an amendment to the Democrats' energy tax credit bill that would require the administration to certify that U.S. manufacturers wouldn't be undercut by foreign suppliers by using their low-cost labor and creating higher emissions. This plan in South Dakota in closing its 14-year-old plant cited precisely these two adverse factors as its reasons. One day after their announcement, TC Energy, the Canadian pipeline company that sought to build the Keystone XL pipeline, announced it was terminating the project permanently. They were hoping that the Biden administration would turn around and put that permit 
giving them authority to pick up and build that pipeline and finish it, obviously it's not happening, so they're shutting it down. And it was devised 1,700 miles long. It was devised to carry 800,000 barrels of oil every day from Alberta in Canada to the U.S. Gulf Coast, going through five states that include South Dakota. Now, we all know that wind and pipeline industries are on different sides. Both were considered economic lifelines, especially to small town South Dakota. Both promised economic stability and a revenue stream that would keep towns hopping until tourism hits its stride there once again. It's, it's a question that has been asked by many Americans in manufacturing jobs who've had to compete with cheap overseas products for generations. The question is, how do you start over after 13 years? How do the XL Pipeline people start over? Many of them you've seen on national television, gone in, news agencies have gone in. A lot of those people live in northern Arkansas that worked on the XL Pipeline. And Biden just basically said when he canceled it, hey, there are going to be lots of green energy jobs out there for these people. There are no green energy jobs. And here's another industry that's taken a bath for the political correctness of the far left. And they have no concept, nor do they have any care for the people, their decisions that are not based on science at all, but are based on political partisanship what they're doing to Americans. Changing the lives of tens of thousands of Americans permanently, just for political purposes. That's a wrap. We're done, folks. Thursday here at TNN Live is over. It will be repeated tomorrow morning at 9 Central Time, 9 to 11, Monday through Friday, right here. Don't forget, if you want the show, you can either grab it at the bottom of today's story. It's about... What Joe and Vlad did in uh, the shore, the banks of Lake Geneva. You can go down to the bottom of that story in just a couple of minutes and you'll be able to download this show. Or you can go to Apple iTunes Podcast or go to Spotify. Thank you for joining us every day. I love having you along for this ride. And I love what we're doing. Share it with your friends. Tell them about it. See you tomorrow right here, TNN Live. Tears coming from